And we're going to read the Bible together. Reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. I'll just give you a moment to find that. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now let me just say this. I'm going to start off by saying, I don't know if you've seen... um, it's a bit of an old movie now. It's called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's very old, sort of old-timey movie. But there's this scene where uh, they finally come to the treasure that they've been searching for. And the treasure that Indiana Jones with his mates has been searching for is the Holy Grail. Now, what is the Holy Grail? It's the cup, it's the chalice, it's the goblet of Jesus. And what happens in this scene is that after all this searching, they come to this cave, this cavern, uh, which is, which, where this cup is there. But in fact, what they find is a whole wall of cups is there, shelves of cups to choose from, uh, options and versions, sizes, shapes and sizes, because in fact, it's a test. It's a test. Because if you drink from the wrong goblet, you will die. If you drink from the right goblet, you have everlasting life. How about that? And in the scene, one of the baddies, he's very confident that he's chosen the right goblet amongst all the versions and options. So he drinks from the goblet for everlasting life, but instead his face shrinks up and his eyeballs pop out and he becomes a skeleton and he explodes. And uh, one of the people in the scene say very dryly, he chose poorly. And of course, Indiana Jones chooses the right one. Now, it's just one of those sort of pop culture moments where the myth of Jesus comes in. But forget about Hollywood and myth. Let's have a look at one of the historical sources we have on the real Jesus, uh, Matthew's Gospel. But today is, sort of in a similar way, about sifting through all the options and versions that Jesus, as he comes apparently in different shapes and sizes, and coming to the true Jesus. In fact, the decisions we make here actually is a matter of life and death. I'm not talking about Hollywood CGI. I'm talking about our soul. I'm talking about our standing with God. I'm talking about heaven or hell. Now, the stakes are really high. What choice are you making with Jesus? And I'll say this too, when it comes to you and God and Jesus, left to ourselves, 
we will only choose poorly. Uh, you'll only get it wrong. Uh, you and I are bound to make, in fact, the wrong assumptions about Jesus. You and I are bound to make, come to the wrong conclusions about Jesus. How about that? So what hope is there? Well, you and I need God's help. Uh, you and I need God to open our eyes to the true Jesus. So I'm going to pray now that, in fact, God would be at work in us today, that we would properly know Jesus. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we do pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would uh, awaken us, that you would open the eyes of our heart to you so that we might, might know the true Jesus. Do that merciful, powerful work in us, we pray. Amen. Well, here's what we're going to cover today. Here's three things. You need to know the true Jesus. God needs to show you the true Jesus. And the true Jesus is building his church. So here we are at Matthew 16. You need to know the true Jesus. And the moment kicks off with Jesus putting to his disciples a question. Uh, who do the people say the Son of Man is? You see it there, verse, uh, verse, six, uh, verse uh, 13. Um, um, now, Son of Man is Jesus' favorite way of talking about himself. So after Jesus has done all these miracles, you know, given sight to the blind and healed the sick and called out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and done amazing things, he wants the disciples to tell him, who do the people, what are the people saying about me? And it is sort of like the Holy Grail scene because there's options, there's versions of Jesus to choose from. And the disciples of Jesus have heard the options. Have a look, verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Uh, each of the versions is really about Jesus is some amazing prophet. So that's the versions of Jesus his impressed fans you know, of Jesus have come up with. But they are only poor versions of Jesus. So then Jesus turns it to his disciples. He asks them direct, verse 15, Who do you say that I am? And you've got to love Peter. You know, there's always someone in a you know, classroom or a seminar or a conference willing to put their hand up, willing to speak. I don't know if you're that type of person who's just happy to put it out there. Well, you know, Peter's like that. He's just happy to sort of put himself out there in a group, speak up when others don't want to. So Simon Peter responds to Jesus' question, and he says there, check it out, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Peter skips past every fake version, every option of Jesus, and says who truly Jesus is, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Messiah. Now, I think, you know, even that word's entered our culture a little bit. You know, we might say, who or she has got a Messiah complex? You know, they just sort of, they just so think they can be the saviour of others. Well, Jesus, he is ground zero for this term, Messiah. And it's a term steeped in Old Testament, steeped in the Bible. That Messiah is the promised anointed king who would come and rule and establish God's kingdom and would usher in a, an age of blessing and rich flourishing and eternal life. 
Um, and in Greek language, this word Messiah actually means, well, in Greek, it actually, we would translate it as Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Uh, so he says of Jesus, you're the Messiah, but also says you're the son of the living God. You know, talking about that son part, Jesus was born into the world, but he was sent into the world. He's from heaven. You know, you've got to realize Jesus does miracles not because he's this mortal who drunk the magic potion or got zapped by rays in the lab experiment gone wrong or got bitten by the spider or anything like that. He's not a superhero with superpowers. You know, in his, in his powerful acts of compassion and mercy, as he calls out injustice, as he does mighty things, he shows us that God has come. He's the son of the living God. So Peter, he gets it bullseye, 100%. Come, come to the front of the class, Peter. Full marks to you, Peter. But then we actually have to hold off on our applause for Peter. Uh, no pats on the back for Peter, actually, because Jesus tells him, he only knows this because God has revealed this to him. So I'll put it to you. Do you know the true Jesus? But it will be God who shows him to you. So let's see what's going on in these words here. Verse 17. See how Jesus pronounces a blessing on Peter for what he knows, but also uh, puts all the credit on God for what he knows. Uh, have a look. Verse 17. Where it says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by, my, by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, Peter's teaching Peter, but he's also teaching us. Now, think about this. You know, if anyone would be able to work out who Jesus is, his true identity, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, well, it'd be the disciples, wouldn't it? You know, because they had front row seats. They were eyewitnesses. They had access like no one else. But Jesus is saying that is not the reason that Peter has come to the right answer on Jesus. It was up to their access, their intellectual power, their perceptive powers, their religious sensitivity, their flesh in and blood, as Jesus puts it. They'd just be like the crowd. Maybe Jesus is this. Maybe Jesus is that. So, God's, so Jesus' Father has revealed the truth to them. Here's the thing. It is of critical importance to come to the right answer on Jesus. There's a right answer. So, so do you know Jesus as King? Do you know Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And Jesus is saying, you can't choose that answer. It'll always be God doing, uh, doing something in you for you to know Jesus. Now, for, the, for the Christians here, think about how you became a Christian. And I'm, and I'm talking about conversion here. Uh, and it's true for the person who grew up in the Christian home, in, in a Christian family, as much as it is for the person who came to faith later on. But wasn't there an experience 
of God revealing himself to you? That Jesus became real to you? Yes, your parents might have taught you or a friend explained the gospel to you or maybe you read a book. Uh, Maybe things came slowly to you as you went to youth group and, and church. But still, isn't it true, wasn't it like your eyes were opened to understand before you thought you knew Jesus, but then you came to really know Jesus. Jesus said, it is not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So my question to each of you is, do you know Jesus? See, it's possible just to hang off other people's take on Jesus and make it your own. But, but personally and really, has there been this revelation that's taken place in your life so that you know Jesus as Messiah, your Saviour? Do you know that Jesus as the Messiah died for you? I'll give you a, an illustration here for the regular church guy, but also for the person who's checking out Christian faith. But imagine you were uh, born in a brick box. You were raised, you grew up in a brick box, a sealed brick box. You know, there's the floor, there's four walls, there's a ceiling above you. And poor old you, I'm trying to explain to you what a tree is. You know, I try to explain what green is, even though you've never seen green. And I try to explain uh, leaves and branches and roots and bark and all of that. And, you know, it's pretty tough going really, isn't it? You know, I even drew a scribble, a picture of a tree and blue tack it on the wall. And that's my frame of reference to explain what a tree is. I mean, it's pretty hard going. But imagine if someone from the outside of your box with a sledgehammer in their hand comes along and just smashes through those walls, you know, a bit of emergency renovation and creates windows and creates doors so that you can see for yourself there's a tree right there. You get to understand a tree in all its treeness. Before, you know, I just told you about it, but now you know you know, when I, when I speak to people here, a good number of you, you know, you can tell the story that you were coming to church for a while and the preacher was saying this and that and, you know, you're getting the theory, but then God does a work in your life. And Jesus is not someone described to you. Jesus is someone you know. It happens with Peter. It happens with anyone. The truth of Jesus is not revealed by flesh and blood, but by Jesus' Father in heaven. That this would happen to every single one of us here. You you can't choose Jesus. So if we don't have control, what can we do? Well, borrowing the words of Jesus from another time, we can pray. We can earnestly come to God in prayer. We can ask, we can seek, we can knock. And God is faithful and God is good and Jesus promises that the door will be open to you. You know, if if, if we need a God thing to happen in our life, let's pray to God that he would do that thing in our lives. You know, you can investigate, you can ask questions, you can explore faith, but ask God to do a revealing work in your life. So your eyes would be open to the truth of Jesus. Now now I come to the last thing we're going to look at today. And it should be an encouragement for all of God's people. 
We've just seen it's up to God to show us the true Jesus. But along with that, the true Jesus is building his church. Now let's read again from verse 18 uh, to verse 19 there. Let's read that. It says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now there's lots going on in these couple of verses. Uh, Would you believe me if I say this is perhaps the most debated verse in all the Bible? Uh, Would you believe me if I say that uh, this verse has caused wars and bloodshed? Which it has, which I'll explain in a second. But after Peter says the truth about Jesus, we have Jesus given, given an amazing promise. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Now in Greek, Peter is Petros. I think we've got it on the screen, in fact, I think. Yes. Um, and the word rock is Petra. Can you see how there's a very similar thing going on here? Jesus is doing a word play here. Peter, Petros, rock Petra. But when I say this verse is debated and caused bloodshed, I'm actually talking about the Roman Catholic Protestant thing. See, this is the verse and the verse afterwards. These are the verses from which the official Roman Catholic doctrine comes for the Pope and the Pope's authority. Every Pope, uh, you know, the Bishop of Rome, is seen as being in direct succession line to Peter. Now, Wikipedia told me that uh, there's been 266 popes in the history of the Roman Catholic Church, um, and, and the position of each pope and the authority of each pope over the global Catholic Church, which is seen as the true church, is taken from these verses. So, as I said, religious wars and awful bloodshed has come from this. And in the 1600s, we had the, uh, the Roman Catholics and the Protestants brought about great atrocities. But those early Protestant reformers did get it right to say, there's nothing here about a pope. There's nothing about papal succession. But there is something really good here. There's a promise from Jesus talking to Peter, Petros, on this rock, Petra, Jesus will build his church. And it's a little bit obscure. The plan words makes it a little bit non-direct. I, I guess that's on purpose from Jesus. But it has been this dominant, it's been this dominant Protestant view that the rock is not Peter as he holds some office in Rome. But the rock is the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, your declaration of truth about Jesus, on that declaration, I will build my church. And Jesus says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the keys of the kingdom of heaven, verse 19, talks about whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I would say it's not that Peter or any pope has special powers. I take it as the true Jesus is declared by Peter, by the apostles, by in fact anyone, his church, even as we take up the gospel message here at Christ Central, 
then we're given a spiritual ministry. We're given a heavenly ministry as we declare Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who died for our sin, that he's our one and only hope to be reconciled to, be, to God and be forgiven and set free. As we declare this, then we're doing an extraordinary heavenly thing. People are either coming to faith in Jesus or rejecting Jesus. That There's so much at stake According to people's response to the message of Jesus, there's either everlasting life or there's everlasting death. There's freedom or spiritual bondage. There's a spiritual authority we convey because we declare that Jesus is king and he is saviour. I don't, I don't think this is just a Peter thing. Uh, if you ever want to look at another reference, just to keep exploring this, you could have a look at Matthew 18, verse 18, which we'll get to in a few weeks' time. But let me bring it back to this. There is so much encouragement in Jesus' words here. You are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, Jesus is saying, I will build my church. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Think about this. As the truth of Jesus is declared, nothing can stop Jesus' work to build his church. And I take it there's no expiry date on Jesus' promise here. But being honest with yourself, do you ever think that this is in the past? That Jesus isn't so much doing his building of his church anymore? So let the words of Jesus sink in here. This is a promise for the present. Jesus building the church did not stop with Peter and the apostles. Jesus building his church did not stop when, after years of persecution, the Roman Empire made Christianity its official religion. Jesus building the church did not stop when the Protestant Reformation brought, uh, brought things out of the corruption of the medieval church. That Jesus building the church did not stop with the height of missionary activity around the world. Jesus building his church did not stop at the 1960s because of hippies and drugs and free love. Jesus building the church has not stopped even today. When we see maybe in the West the suspicion or maybe even the hatred or the disdain towards the church and teaching of the Bible about sexuality and relationships and our purpose in life. I think some of us are in danger of thinking the building of the, the Jesus building work is done. That there's no more building work happening. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've ever, you know, if you ever think of church, maybe like a sort of a bit of a decrepit old ruin. You know, I don't know if you've travelled to places like Angkor Wat in Cambodia or the Colosseum in Rome or the Parthenon in Athens and these old rocks, these old ruins, and you might think, oh, wonder what it was like in the heyday. When the, when the building was just great. You know, wouldn't it be great to see it in its heyday, in its glory days? Well, we can think that about the church too. We imagine what it used to be like. We might think that the church stays in a bit of disrepair, but there was a time when Christianity was respected. You know, there was a time when Christianity was mainstream. There was a time when it had cultural pull. If we're just looking, thinking like that, if we're pining and wish, wistful thinking for past days, we need to hear Jesus' words. Upon this rock, I will build my church. 
it's not just an historical past. It's a, it's a present reality. There is no expiration date on this. As the witness, as the declaration of Jesus goes out, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God, as that message is received, Jesus is building his church. And the thing is, the Christian church as an institution, you know, at times has had cultural power and prestige. But you know, you look at the history of the church as God's people who follow Jesus as King and their Messiah, the churches always actually look pretty weak and small and powerless. And yet God has always been doing what he's promised. Jesus has been building his church. Now, the other day I was listening to an interview with the um, Anglican Archbishop in Nigeria. His name is Ben Kwashi. And he, is in, he and his wife have 54 orphans at their place. How about that? Archbishop of Nigeria. But Nigeria is, you know, if you know the news, it's the place where there's Boko Haram. It's a militant uh, Muslim terrorist group. They kidnap girls, force marriages, force conversions to, to Islam. Uh, but this black man in Africa is calling on comfortable white Christians in the West to be faithful. You know, it was just brought home to me that there are more active Anglicans in Nigeria than there are in Britain's Church of England. My point is to see Jesus building his church, maybe we have to look beyond traditional cathedrals with white, white people and just look all over the place where God's people are contending for the faith. Where there's, there's this faithful insistence on Jesus and the gospel, that he's the king and that he's the saviour, and this call to turn to him. Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I go back to where I started. Are you someone who has an opinion on Jesus? Uh, do you view Jesus in a way, but it's a second-hand thing that's been adopted from someone else. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Our spiritual condition means we need Jesus as our saviour. Now, I pray that our eyes would be opened, that God would reveal the truth of Jesus, that we would see Jesus as he really is. Jesus is not to be respected, admired, thought highly of. Come to Jesus. Give your life to him. He is the Lord. He came to die. He came to die for our sin on the cross and be set free. And I just want to say that in knowing Jesus is building his church, then also let's get on with being part of that building work too. In big ways, in small ways, let's declare that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. Let's declare it. Let's declare it to kids and teenagers. Let's declare it to our grandkids, to our neighbors, to our family. Let's be part of gospel ministry in upfront ways, in behind the scene ways. We give of our time and our talents and our treasure to this. The church is not an artifact from the past. It's what Jesus is building now. So we need to know the true Jesus. 
we need God to show us the true Jesus. And we can take great comfort that the true Jesus is building his church. Let's give our lives to Jesus and the work that he's doing. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you that you are merciful and kind. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that he came, that he did mighty and powerful things. And so, Father, work in us that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to Jesus. Uh, you know where there is false thinking, where we may have borrowed thoughts on Jesus. So work in us that each person here would not be living in deception about what they think and what they know, but they might realize that there is a spiritual need, a great spiritual need for Jesus to save them. And so open our eyes, open our hearts to Jesus that we might be able to declare along with Peter in our heart that indeed Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Help us to know that Jesus is the Savior. Oh, thank you that in Jesus there is hope, that in Jesus there is life, that because of Jesus we are set free. May each person here know Jesus. And Father, we thank you so much for uh, the promise that Jesus gives that he is building his church. Oh, thank, thank you, Jesus, that you're building your church today. And may we be a people who gets on with this work as well. That we're people of, in, of, of encouragement and hope, uh, knowing that you are doing a work to bring a people for yourself. So Father, we just again, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for, for the glorious Lord and Saviour he is to us. In his name we pray. Amen.